This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's feature award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast, it is State of the Buffalo Bills Week here. Two-parter today, offense, Friday, defense, and special teams. For both episodes, very excited about this. I'm going to have Jay Skursky, Buffalo Bills beat reporter for the Buffalo News. He's going to talk about every position on this team. We're going to go through a bunch of players, and Jay just has a ton of insight. And I mean a ton on all of them. There's few people out there more qualified to offer insight into everything Buffalo Bills than Jay. So I'm very excited to have him back on this podcast both today and Friday again. Today, part one, Buffalo Bills offense. I'm sure we'll talk about a couple other things as well. I'll have that for you in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by Audimute. So for nearly two decades now, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments from your home studio to commercial settings such as the office, restaurants, gyms, auditoriums, all types of places. Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. The reason why is very simple. They just refuse to compromise on the quality of their products or their service ever. Easy, green, and affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels, and the difference in sound has been pretty remarkable. Look, don't just throw up some cheap foam on your walls, decide that it looks pretty good, and then call it a day. Visit Audimute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound. If you have a podcast and you want to take it serious, you want your listeners to have the best experience possible when they're listening, just do your sound. Do the people who hear it a really big service. And visit Audimute.com. And on that note, let's do it. All right, here we go. We're on. This is episode 229, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen and download. Support the show really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead, do that right now. Ready to review all that fun stuff. We're available on all the major podcasting platforms out there. As for this show, actually this week, it's going to be State of the Buffalo Bills. So both today and Friday, it's all Buffalo Bills talk. Today we'll do offense. Friday we're going to do defense and special teams. And I couldn't think of a better person to have on the podcast, not just today, but also on Friday. 
than Jay Skursky, who covers the Buffalo Bills for the Buffalo News. I almost said the Buffalo Bills. He covers the Buffalo Bills for the Buffalo News. One of the best reporters out there. And just as important, at least to me anyway, a guy that I really enjoy a lot. I like talking to Jay. He's been on this podcast three times before. In fact, you know what? Jay was actually one of the first guests that I've ever had on this podcast in the history of the show. I think he was on first all the way back in episode number five. Since then, he's been on a couple times. Last time I had Jay on the show was about a little less than a year ago. In fact, at the time I was in Buffalo and we got a chance to hook up, we went to Snyder Bar and Grill in Amherst. Jay recommended the place. I had never heard of it. Really good wings, man. Very underrated. I like them a lot. So we had some meats there, sat down, taped the show. It was a lot of fun. Jay's just a really good dude. And again, a hell of a Buffalo Bills reporter. Today, we're going to talk offense. We're just going to, we're going to go through the positions, talk about a bunch of players. I'll get Jay's takes on several things. Some of the new guys, some of the returning veterans, how they're going to all fit together, and just what to expect from this team this year. And we're going to break it down position by position. Pretty self-explanatory. So Jay Skursky today offense, Friday defense and special teams. We'll talk about some other stuff, I'm sure, as well. Along the way, I'm not going to waste any more time here at the top. Let's just get right into it. So here it is, part one of my chat with Jay Skursky. All right, I am here with Jay Skursky, Buffalo Bills beat writer at the Buffalo News. Been a while, Jay. How you doing? Hey, Pat. What's going on, buddy? Doing well? Yeah, it has been a while. Uh, hanging in there, I guess, as much as <laughs> as we all can be right now during these crazy times, right? Yeah, for sure. Now, it's funny. I've had you on the show a handful of times, and I had to go back and look it up. The last time I had you on was actually last summer. Yeah. Last August, I was in Buffalo, and you took me to Snyder's Bar and Grill in Amherst. I had never heard of the place before. This was 100% your call, your recommendation. We got the wings and they were kick-ass, man. I, I remember that very well. I was stunned at how good they were. And then we taped the show. It was a good time. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're floating, or we're, we're flirting with your top 10 still, right? I think we were like yeah. 11 or something the last time yeah. I looked. Yeah, some all-pro wings, man, right up there for sure. And I love the place because, again, I really like, I mean, I didn't find it, you did, and you told me about it, but I'm a big fan of going to those underrated places that. Lots of people are not talking about them. That's definitely one of them because I'm going to be honest with you, man. Until you told me about that, until I had been there, I literally had never even heard of it. No one talks about them in wing circles. That's kind of a shame. Yeah, it's it's funny, man. It's one of those kind of classic, just old school Buffalo bars, right? You know, you walk in there and you feel like you're kind of transported to an earlier time. But yeah, the wings, man, I think are... I think they're legit. And, uh, you know, based on your score, and I'm, I'm going to take your opinion on it over mine because you've been to a lot more places than I have. But to, to see where they ranked, I, I felt like I made a good call for us. <laughs> you did for sure. All right. So check it out. Here's what we're doing, everyone. We're going to do a two-parter, State of the Buffalo Bills. Today, we're going to do offense. And on Friday, we're going to do defense and special teams. I'm going to have Jay for both episodes. Before we dive into that, though, I, I mean... Something that's not easy for either of us to talk about because we're both very fond of him. And we're taping this late into the night on Sunday. Dick Gallagher is in hospice. And from what we understand, it's very grave and just a a matter of time, maybe even hours before 
he passes on. By the time people are hearing this on Tuesday morning, the show, it's a good chance he could be gone. But Dick Gallagher, an absolute pioneer, an icon, a legend in the Western New York sports community, particularly the high school sports community. I know you are very fond of him. I've seen some of your tweets. We're friends on Facebook, seeing that you've written about him as well. I mean, it's a tough question to ask, but your thoughts on, on Dick. And like I said, it's pairs eminent at this point that uh, he's going to pass. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it is hard for me to, uh, to talk about. Uh, I, I get emotional uh, thinking about it and, and I'm sure talking about it is, is going to bring that out of me, but you know, he um, it, quite simply is one of the, the kindest men that I've ever met. Um, it, you know, I guess, you know, in, in sports journalism and, and, and in what we do and, you know, the circles that we run in, um, you know, maybe most people knew knew Dick through that and, and his love of, of high school football and, and high school sports and amateur athletics in Western New York, uh, you know, really came through. And, and that's certainly how I came to to know him. But, you know, it, you know, as I learned more about him and you know, what he did for a living um, in, in his work as a counselor and, and, and helping young people uh, battle addiction. You know, I, I think that the best way that I can say it is that, you know, Dick Gallagher dedicated his life to, to making other lives uh, or the lives of others uh, better. And, and I can assure you uh, that he did that. And, and that will be his legacy. Um you know, he had a relationship with uh, with Channel Two, and you know, I, I think a lot of people probably know that that my wife uh, works at Channel Two, and she would see him, you know, quite often uh, at the station, and, and without fail, he would, you know, without being asked, uh, always make mention to Melissa uh, how much he enjoyed my work and and how I was doing at the paper, and and how genuinely happy he was to see, you know, to see the success that I was having uh, in, in my career. And that just, I, I think it just summarizes who he was. He just cared so, so much and so deeply about others. And uh, it, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Pat, it never failed. Every single time she would come home, she would say, saw Dick today at the station. He just wanted to say, what a great job you're doing. And uh, you know, those, those moments and those instances just meant the world to me because, you know, he didn't have to say that. And, and it was just so kind of him to, to go out of his way. And, you know, that's just one small example of, of the way that he treated people. And I, I'm far from alone in, in, in that. I, I think anyone who has uh, had the pleasure to meet Dick Gallagher leaves that conversation feeling better about themselves and, and really feeling better about life. And, and I, it's not a stretch to say that that is just, the outlook and the positivity uh, that, that that man had and, and has, uh, you know, uh, on, uh, on life. And, and it was just so genuine and, and really uplifting. And, uh, you know, I'm going to miss it. I'm, I'm going to miss it a lot, those conversations. I'll tell you a, a very quick story about Dick. And then, of course, we'll get into some Bill's talk for today. So I'm a little bit older than you now. A little bit older. Let's just leave it at that, all right? And uh, I was 12 years old when Dick Gallagher first started uh, Western New York High School Sports, the newspaper. And growing up, a lot of kids grow up dreaming of playing center field for the Yankees or being the quarterback on the football team or the goalie in hockey, stuff like that. I always, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be either a famous 
columnist or I wanted to be the publisher of a magazine. Like they did the next guy who would publish Sports Illustrated. Just, you know, silly stuff like that. Those are my crazy big dreams. And I just remember very well being fascinated by this high school newspaper. Like I said, 12 years old is young. when I, That's how old I was when it first came out. But again, I was so fixated on sports that I remember it so well. And I went to high school from like the mid to late 80s, 86 to 89, and played a couple of sports football. And I remember I always dreamed of having a story done by Dick Gallagher on me in the high school newspaper. Now, that never worked out because I wasn't really very good. But uh, point being is that that newspaper became such a staple and he shined a light on high school sports, all sports, but particularly football, brighter than anyone else ever did before him. And frankly, since him. Now, growing up again, you know, I always read the Buffalo News. Before that, it was the Courier Express. It was high school coverage. Fantastic stuff. But there was never no specific outlet for high school sports before Dick. And he really, like I said, he shined a light. And he was just, you kind of talked about this, just such a nice guy and so popular. No one ever had a bad thing to say about him. You know, I've been on a much smaller scale. I mean, you're fortunate and blessed to be able to do this for a living. So you've interviewed countless big name athletes in your lifetime. Hasn't been quite the same for me, but I've dabbled a little bit here and there. I've had an opportunity to cover sports at least a little bit. Like I've been one-on-one with Jim Kelly before or Jerry Rice. And those are big famous names, but I never really got nervous. It, It just felt like part of the gig. There's only two people in my lifetime that I was actually in such awe of that I was actually nervous to meet them in person. One of them was a former Buffalo News Hall of Fame writer, Jim Kelly. I remember meeting him in the late 90s and I was just, uh, I was pretty much shitting myself. I was, I was like, this holy shit, man. This is Jim Kelly. You know, it, it doesn't get any better than this. I just remember being so nervous. And then the other one, because I covered a lot of high school sports in the 2000s. I had my blog in 2009 and I was constantly covering a lot of high school sports, a lot of basketball games and football games. And I would see Dick Gallagher there and I'd get nervous every time I saw him. I mean, there was no reason to be because there's not a nicer person on earth, but he just had that presence to him. You knew who he was and everybody loved and respected him. Nobody ever had a bad thing to say about this guy. And he just did so much. I mean, you spoke of it brilliantly. He just, uh, he's one of the greats, a Buffalo Hall of Famer. And uh, he's going to be missed, man. Just just a great guy and and a real pioneer. Yeah. You know, when I, when I got my start in this business, I, Worked at the Tonawanda News, which uh, is no longer, uh, you know, it being public, uh, you know, in publication. Uh, it was part of Greater Niagara Newspapers, uh, the family of the Niagara Gazette and the Lockport Union Sun. And, you know, those small community papers, they have such a heavy emphasis on high school sports. And and in Tonawanda, you know, the, the TNT rivalry, Tonawanda, North Tonawanda was huge. And Every year uh, in the summertime, you know, we would wait in the office for for that that high school magazine, you know, that magazine kind of the preview of high school football to come out because, you know, we needed to read up not just on on the teams that we covered, North Tonawanda, Tonawanda, Ken East, Ken West, but all the teams in the area and who they were going to be playing. And, you know, that was truly a labor of love to put that together. And, you know, it was it was required reading for me in my career uh, when I was just first starting out as the uh, as the sports editor at the Tonawanda News. And, you know, to think that, you know, he was able to kind of marry 
you know, his, his career with what his passion was and, and just, you know, what he was able to, you know, the, the joy that he was able to bring these kids, right. To be able to, you know, see their name in print and, and you yeah. know, we forget, you know, we cover, you know, I cover the bills now for a living and, you know, most of the time, you know, the, 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 the players that I go into the locker room and talk to probably don't really want to talk to me sometimes, right. and, you know, and, and they're long past the days uh, of experiencing the thrill of seeing their name uh, in the newspaper and what that was like. But, uh, you know, for Dick Gallagher, being able to give that to kids, uh, you know, was a joy and, and was something that he took pride in. And, and I hope that those kids, re- you know, appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure they did at the time. And, uh, you know, as I said, it was it was required reading for me. And, and that's really how I, I first learned uh, of who Dick Gallagher was and what he was all about. And, you know, from that time, uh, you know, got to know him a little bit better. And uh, yeah, you, you know, you said it perfectly. There was no reason to ever be nervous around him, because if there was ever a person who was going to make you comfortable and make you happy and make you smile, it was Dick Gallagher. Yeah, no question about it, man. He'll be missed. One of the all-time greats for sure. All right, so let's transition into some Bills talk. Like I said, today we're going to talk offense. We'll start with the offensive line because it shouldn't take too long to discuss because literally the entire offensive line is back again in 2020. The starters, Quinn in Spain was the one free agent. Maybe a little bit mildly surprising that he resigned. So let me get your thoughts there. Let's start there. Were you a little bit surprised that Quinn in Spain did resign because there was a school of thought that maybe he would walk, the Bills wouldn't want to pay him, and then maybe Cody Ford would slide into guard to take his uh, spot. So what was your thoughts on that, first and foremost? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess a couple of things there. You know, number one, I, you know, to me, the the domino that had to fall this offseason was they had to make a decision on where Cody Ford was going to line up. And I, I think we can all say now that it's, you know, it's going to be at right tackle. And I think that that's the right decision. I think, you know, to move up in the second round, uh, in 2019 to draft Cody Ford, uh, you quite frankly, you want him to be a tackle. I, I, and I, I think there would be somewhat of an admission uh, of a missed pick. Not, not that it would be a failed pick by any stretch. If he did move inside to guard and ended up having a good long career there, that would be okay. But when you move up for a guy in the second round and he's got the ability to play tackle, I think you want to exhaust all options uh you know, at that position. And, and I think that's, that's why I, I'm of the, uh, of the mindset that leaving him at tackle uh, right now is the right move. So with that being said, yeah, you know, you go to, you know, to, to Quinton Spain. And I think there were, was a couple of different reasons that this got done. Number one, Quinton Spain's free agency last year did not go well. It did not go the way that he thought it was going to go. He signed with the bills because quite frankly, that was the only offer that he had. Now, he, now, to his credit, he stayed healthy and he put together a pretty sound season. What that led to was a, a good contract, not a great contract, but he's got some long-term security now with a three-year deal. Uh, he went from being on his way possibly out of the league, again, with the Bills being the only team that you know offered him a deal in 2019, to now he signed for three years. So I think it was a win-win. The Bills get him at a price where – if they have a, a player come along who, let's say, beats out Quentin Spain, that's okay. He can be a backup. He, yeah, he'd be a little bit more of a high price backup, but not extraordinarily so. So I think for from both sides, uh, them you know coming to an agreement made a lot of sense. And what it did was, you know, it kind of gave them 
the flexibility to say, okay, well, we we know we at the at the very minimum we're returning our starters from last season. And you know, when you look across the line, as you said it there, you've got Dawkins, you got Spain, Mitch Morse, you've still got John Feliciano, and you know, we talked about Cody Ford. So all five guys back, and you know, two things had to happen. One, where was Cody Ford going to line up? Two, could they get Quentin Spain back? It turns out they could. He wanted the the security that came with a three year deal. They wanted the uh, you know the uh, familiarity and the chemistry that comes with returning all five starters. And it's more than that too. It's not just all five starters. You're looking at you've got Spencer Long back. You've got Ty Insecki back. You've got Ike Bucker, Ryan Bates. I mean, your top nine offensive linemen. Basically, any offensive lineman you had from last year is back. That's an unprecedented amount of continuity up front. And I think, you know, and let's face it, that's what they're banking on is going to make them better up front. And, you know, we, you know, I've got some thoughts on that too, but that's what they need to have happen is because they did not bring in a lot of new pieces. I don't think a lot of starting pieces, certainly. So they better hope that continuity makes them better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Daryl Williams is probably the most significant new name on the offensive line. And I don't think there's any real expectation of him being a starter. Who knows if he even makes a roster. At this point, I lo- I'm fascinated by what you say about Cody Ford because another thing I would say, too, is a lot of people who were critical of his play as a rookie, I mean, let's be fair here, too, played right tackle as a rookie. That's not easy to do. Do you feel like you could kind of point to the job that Deion Dawkins did as a fair measuring stick? Because let's not forget, Dawkins was decent as a rookie. I thought he was a tire fire in 2018. Which, to be fair, the entire offensive line was just historically bad. So maybe, you know, just all the lack of talent around him made him struggle more, too. But anyway, my point being is he bounced back big time, I thought, last year and had a good season. There's a lot of room for Cody Ford to grow. It's just because he wasn't that good. Or I shouldn't say that good. He was definitely inconsistent as a rookie last year. There's a hell of a lot of room for him still to become a good right tackle, even if a lot of people still think ultimately he'd be better suited for guard, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, that'll be one of the the things that we watch pretty closely this season for sure is, you know, you again, I'll kind of go back to what I said that, you know, I think ultimately you hope that he ends up being if not a, a pro bowl right tackle, you know, at least a, an above average starting right tackle. I think to the, to this team that would be more valuable than moving him inside. I mean, let's face it, they found guards in Quentin Spain and John Feliciano who we're not getting big deals. And those guys stepped in and they played uh, capable football. I think you can find guards easier than you can find tackles. And that's why you want to give Cody Ford every opportunity. And, you know, let's also not forget that he was playing hurt, right? He had he had a, a surgery on uh, one of, a, one of yeah. his shoulders right after the season. So you don't know how much, the, you know, that injury was impacting him. Uh, you, you would expect that, he, you know, going into training camp here, especially now with, you know, no spring practices really. Uh, that he should go into training camp fully healthy, and how much better will you know his play be because of that? You know, I think that's a, you know a question that we're going to have to wait until September to to kind of answer. But yeah, I think there is reason to be optimistic that Cody Ford can build on what he accomplished as a rookie and to and to, uh, to take a next step. And, and again, for the overall health of the offensive line, the overall improvement of the offensive line, that's a really big key. Continuity is good, but it's only good if that continuity has talent. Going into this season right now, having the same offensive line back, as a fan, what do you think the confidence level should be 
in this offensive line to, I don't want to say exponentially improve, but at least be as good as last year and maybe a little bit better. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree there. It's got to be, it's got to be better than what it was last year. I, I thought that, you know, the line improved last year, but where did it have to go? I mean, you mentioned it earlier from what, what they had out there in 2018. I mean, there was almost nowhere to go but up. And right. that's probably my big question about this offense going into this season is, is continuity enough for this offensive line? And I, you know, I would say that that would be my big concern outside anything to do with Josh Allen in terms of, you know, his development in year three or, or, you know, God forbid an injury situation or something like that at quarterback. But, you know, if everyone is healthy on this offense, my question mark, I think even more so than Allen, because I know there's guys out there who are all in on Josh Allen and there's some who are, are, you know, need to be convinced still, but I'm really wondering just how good this offensive line can be. Uh, I, I shouldn't say how good. I, I'm, I, what I should say is how much better can it be? Because I do think it needs to get better. For this offense to become a top 10 offense, I think the line needs to pass block better. I think they need to run block better at times. I mean, they they struggled mightily in short yardage, goal line to go, third and one, fourth and one situations last year. And I know a lot of people – We'll pin that on Frank Gore, and that yeah, yeah, there was there was something to be said for that. But how many times did Frank Gore have absolutely no chance? They were not a very good short yardage situational running football team, and I put a lot of that on the guys up front. And I think that you know if you're Sean McDermott, uh, you know if you're Brian Dayball, you need to challenge this offensive line to get better. And yeah, it's nice that everybody's back. Continuity is great. I, I agree with that. But, hey, you know, you mentioned a guy like Daryl Williams. If Daryl Williams can come in here, and I think it's unlikely, but if he could push John Feliciano or he could push uh, Quentin Spain for a starting spot, you know, I don't think that those jobs should automatically be handed out here in, you know, late June, early July before training camp starts. I would like to see some level of competition uh, for some positions up front, and that's why – you know, I think, you know, Brandon Bean has done a heck of a job this offseason. He has addressed a lot of needs. The one area I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of an emphasis put on, whether that be in the draft or in free agency, was up, was up front along the offensive line. And to me, you know, that's going to be the question mark. Is continuity enough up front? Can they get better uh, individually, whether it's Cody Ford taking a step in year two whether it's John Feliciano, another player who played through injury and is coming off of a surgery, can he be better? Uh, that's one of the things that I think is really going to uh, to determine this, you know, this offense as a whole, the success. Sure. And I would say from an optimistic point of view, the Bills still have two tackles that are young, so they do have room to grow as players. And I would also say that Mitch Morse, the big piece of this offensive line, wasn't healthy for a lot of last year, so maybe him having a full healthy season could uh, really help the offensive line, the fortunes of it. As we move on to tight end, that's another position where absolutely nothing happened. They took a run early at Olsen, but he ended up signing with, uh, I believe it was Seattle. So you got Dawson Knox, Croft, Lee Smith, and Tommy Sweeney. Kroom's still in the mix at this time anyway. Uh, I would say probably Knox would be the key to the this position taking that next step. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on him as a rookie last year and his potential going into his sophomore season? 
Yeah, and you know, I liked I liked his rookie season a lot. I mean, obviously, you know, the first thing that uh, you know people are going to point to that he's got to work on, and it's not a secret, is the drops. You know, way way too many of those. Um, you know, so, you know, particularly just you know some some really good throws uh, of Josh Allen's uh, that that you know were uh, you know should have been caught, quite frankly. And Dawson Knox would be the first to tell you, but you know, physically, I think he. Uh, you know, he's what you want in a tight end. I think, I think he plays with an edge. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I have to say one of the things that I, you know, it, you have to mention with Dawson Knox and it's a play that for some reason doesn't get enough attention. But if you want to look at rookie growing pains, uh, go back to the playoff game against Houston and go to overtime, watch oh, the quarterback I... sweep that Josh Allen runs. <laughs> okay. There's, it's a it's a play that Josh Allen ran on the first drive, uh, the tremendous first drive of that game, gained huge yardage, and uh, they ran it again in overtime. And I'm telling you, if Dawson Knox makes the block on that play that he's supposed to, the Bills win that football game. Josh Allen probably, gain, if he doesn't get into the end zone, he gets into inside the red zone, and it's a chip shot field goal for Steven Hauschka. So, um that's an area where Dawson Knox, uh, not that he's always, you know, it's not that he struggled all season with blocking, but uh, there was some rookie growing pains. And and that was probably the the biggest one that you're ever going to find, quite frankly. And it's surprising to me that that play doesn't get a little bit more attention than I think it, than it you know, quite frankly, that it should. That being said, though, again, you know, his skill set, his work ethic, uh, you know, by everything that we've heard about him are all what you're looking for. And I'm really high on Dawson Knox. I think he can be a big part of this offense. I think when you, you know, you look at the weapons that this team has added around him. um, I I think he's got all of the attributes that would really, you know, he's not going to be, he's not going to put up Rob Gronkowski numbers or, or, or anything like that, but I don't think he has to, to be a, a, you know, an important part of this offense. And I think it's okay that you know they missed out on Greg Olson, as you said. I, I I would not have been that in favor of Greg Olson solely for the reason that I think it would take away from Dawson Dawson Knox's playing time, and I don't want to see that. I, I think there's potential there with Knox. I'll tell you, it's funny. I was laughing when you were saying that because maybe I stole that thought from you months ago, but several times right after that loss to Houston, I had whoever was on the podcast for that specific episode. And we would talk about the loss over and over and over and over again. And I kept coming back to that same exact thing too. Now, I want to be a little bit fair to Dawson Knox because players could have made plays that it shouldn't have even came down over time. You could always say that, of course. But yeah, you're 100% right. I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but it was number 41. Yeah, He puts that block on. Yeah, worst case, it's a... And that's without even running another play. It's probably a 35-yard field goal to to win it in overtime. I'll never forget that. That that haunted me, that play. But I like him. But let me ask you this about Olsen. So they took a, I don't know how much of a run. I don't want to say if they took a run at him. They certainly had interest in him. But after they don't get Olsen, I didn't hear the Bills connected to any tight end. Are you a little surprised that they would go fishing for somebody like Olsen? And when that doesn't work out, they just said, eh, we're, we're good with what we have. Yeah, you know, I, I'll run a theory that I've heard um, from some people by you uh, that makes a little bit of sense to me. I, I think that the Bills may have been doing Greg Olson a favor, quite frankly, um, driving his price up a little bit. I don't know that to be 100% certain, but I've heard it and it makes sense to me. 
Um, I'm not shocked that they didn't, you know, make more of an emphasis on it after Tyler Croft agreed to a uh, contract renegotiation with what amounted to uh, uh, basically reducing from two years left on his deal to one year left on his deal. I think there was a, a pay cut involved in there somewhere. Uh, but once it became clear that Tyler Croft was, uh, you know, part of the mix uh, again uh, for this team moving forward in 2020, uh, I don't really see how another tight end comes in here and, you know, I, quite frankly, even cracks the 53-man roster because you've got Dawson Knox. We know he's making it. Croft, by renegotiating his contract, I think has a really good chance. I think he's a, a pretty sound number two tight end. You know, the question with him, can he stay healthy? You know, we'll answer that, you know, as, as we get closer to the season. But you know, he, uh, you know, I, I will say that Tyler Croft really won the locker room over last year with how he dealt with the adversity of going through the injuries at the beginning. Uh, you know, the guys absolutely love that he made that that touchdown catch against uh, Pittsburgh in what was a huge win for that team. Probably the the signature win, right, at least in terms of what it meant for the for the franchise. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he made that play. The, you know, his teammates were, were thrilled for him. And then you mentioned the other guys. You know, I'm, I'm pretty high on Tommy Sweeney. I thought he did some pretty good things as a seventh-round draft pick rookie. And then you've got Lee Smith back as a blocker and a, a veteran, one of those guys that, you know, when you talk about the lost leadership with uh, losing Lorenzo Alexander, and not just Lorenzo Alexander, but Eric Wood and Kyle Williams from previous years, well, Lee Smith is one of those players who I think really uh, steps into focus in that regard. And then you've got Jason Kroom coming back too off of injured reserve, and can he factor in? So you've got a, you, you know, you've got a pretty deep position, um, and, and unless you're really going to bring in, uh, you know, a premier talent, uh, whether that be in free agency, and, and it was a really down year, bad year for tight ends in the draft. I'm not surprised at all that they didn't draft one. Plus, I would say, and we're going to talk about Stephon Diggs and the receivers in a few minutes, and with Moss, the rookie, which we'll talk about as well. A lot of weapons and only one football. So maybe going out and trying to spend big money on a tight end might not have made much sense, especially after they went and got digs after the fact. I want to move on to the running back position because Devin Singletary is a guy that really interests me. I thought he had a a good rookie season. He had like 775 yards rushing. I think he had the most yards per carry of any running back in the NFL last year. I think Lamar Jackson, in fact, was the only one who had uh, more yards per carry. And he was a running back. So he had a good year. He started very slowly, got uh, had the hamstring injury, but it almost felt like at times he was babied. And I'm not sure how much the coaching staff trusted him in the playoffs because it felt like Gore was out there a lot more late in that game against Houston than Singletary was. In fact, Singletary didn't get a single carry out, I don't believe, in overtime. But anyway, what were your thoughts on, we'll start with Singletary first, as a rookie last year and his, his potential to take the next step in year two and, and become an even better running back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, certainly the injury, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it was more than just the, the games missed too, because I do agree with you that I thought they were pretty slow in bringing him back. Uh, you know, it became apparent over the second half of the season uh, that, that he was their best option at the position, whether that was, you know, Frank Gore losing a step or just Devin Singletary kind of growing into the role. I think it was a combination of both. You know, there were, you know, there was, uh, you, know, you know, some some concerns with some fumbles. I, I thought that I can't remember exactly the game it was, but there were, you know, it, it seemed like that, that, you know, that the coaching staff had maybe uh, was maybe sending a little bit of a message to him about taking better care of the football. So, you know, that's something that, you know, that we'll keep an eye on. Uh, you know, the, the thing with 
with Singletary that I find that it's an opinion that I don't think is shared all that widely, but I wonder just, you know, the, the confidence level that this team has in him being a guy who could carry the ball 25 or 30 times a game if that's what's necessary. You know, he did not uh, – I, I don't believe he hit 25 last year. I, I know he, he was uh, over 20 once or twice. But, you know, if they need him to, to you know, to lug it 30 times a game, can he do that? I don't know. And, uh, you know, whether that be, you know, concern over his frame, he's a, a smaller guy at five foot seven, but, you know, he's, he's really he, – he's big. I mean, you know, you look at his legs and, you know, his upper body. I don't think that they're worried, you know, about the physical uh, – the, 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 the physicality of, of the position too much with him. Um but, you know, and then they double down with a, with another running back in the third round. And, you know, you look at how much work Devin Singletary got last year as a third round pick. And, you know, you kind of project that forward and wonder how much is Zach Moss going to see as a third round pick? Are we looking at a true timeshare here or are we looking at, you know, this is Devin Singletary's show and Zach Moss is coming in here to be a specialized guy? I think it's more toward a timeshare, quite frankly. And, and I think some people would probably disagree with me on that based on, as you said, kind of that home run ability that Singletary showed, the the yards per carry were certainly impressive. But there's some part of me that just wonders what the trust level among this, you know, with this coaching staff is with Devin Singletary. It has to be some kind of trust issue. Maybe it's his age. I don't know. But I agree 100% because the stats are there. The yards per carry is there. I thought he ran pretty well in between the tackles, a lot better than I thought. He could make people miss. He was breaking some tackles and going into the draft, every draft expert out there kept talking about the bills likely to spend a day two pick on a running back. And frankly, I never bought into it. I always had the mindset. All right, you got a young player in Singletary, a a budding star. Maybe you go get a Carlos Hyde or some kind of veteran out there to carry the ball eight to 10 times a game and let Singletary be your guy. But I kind of feel like the bills made a statement in round three by taking Zach Moss because there were other areas on this team that they could have went out and got someone in the draft. You could have made an argument for a corner or an offensive tackle like you talked about, maybe another wide receiver in the third round, but they took running back. I'll say this about Zach Moss because I want to get your take on him. I feel like it's almost, assuming of course he can stay healthy and he's just not a complete bust, which no one thinks that's going to happen. He's an upgrade on Frank Gore. and obviously. What by that, you know, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, Frank Gore. Of course he is. But I'm talking about 36-year-old, end of the season last year, Frank Gore, who clearly lost a step. You almost got to feel, almost by default, that the Bills kind of upgraded that RB2 position, if he's even an RB2, because like you said, he might be RB1B. Yeah, right, exactly. And yeah, I'm with you. I agree. I think, you know, this the style uh, of running back that they're that they're getting um, you know, it, it pairs really, really well with Devin Singletary, and it's it's really attractive on paper. And, and to your point, Zach Moss is going to have to come in here and prove it, right? You know, it's going to have to translate to the next level. But, you know, we've seen running backs uh, have success doing that, you know, and, you, you know, you look no further than Devin Singletary, who they who the Bills did get in the third round. And and he was able to make the transition. And, and once he got over the injury, uh, really establish himself. And, it, you know, if Zach Moss can do that, I'm – I'm totally with you. I think that it is going to benefit the offense as a whole. Uh, I mentioned it before when we talked about the offensive line and 
how bad this team was in short yarded situations. And, and I think that Zach Moss can immediately come in and, and help in that regard. So, you know, I, I think that the, the, the pick and the, uh, the reasoning for bringing him in, I mean, let's, let's not forget that Brandon Bean uh, w- has said that he was, he was calling around. He was kind of desperate almost to move up to get Zach Moss. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, he wasn't able to find a partner and the board fell the right way for him and he ended up being there and he didn't have to move up. But that says a lot uh, about what they think that they're getting in Zach Moss. And, and it kind of goes back to me saying, you know, don't be convinced that this is Devin Singletary who's going to, you know, dominate the carries and Zach Moss is just going to be spotted in here and there. If Zach Moss comes in and shows that he's, you know, willing, uh, or I shouldn't say willing, but if, if he shows that he's deserving uh, of more touches, you know, Sean McDermott has always talked about earning, you know, in, in competition and, and earning touches and, and, that, and that sort of nature or that sort of thing. So I would think that Zach Moss is going to have a big opportunity early in his career to show just how much of a workload he deserves. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I thought Brandon Bean made a great move last year signing Frank Gore on day one of free agency. At the time, I really didn't understand it having McCoy, but as time went on, it kind of became clear what he was looking to do. So they cut Shady. Gore was there to be a mentor for Singletary, and by all accounts, he was an outstanding mentor. Did some good things on the field, but only averaged 3.6 yards per carry. And I think an underrated aspect of Moss being on this team is when Frank Gore was out there, for the most part, it kind of felt predictable what the Bills were going to do on first and second down. Now, Moss isn't exactly Christian McCaffrey coming out of the backfield, but the guy could catch the ball and make some plays in the passing game, too. So I think maybe it might make the Bills offense a little less predictable when he's out there. Now, speaking of being less predictable, the one big offensive addition to this team was Stephon Diggs. The Bills gave up four draft picks, including their first rounder to get him. What were your thoughts, first and foremost, because we haven't talked since before that, what was your thoughts, your instant reaction when the Bills gave up four picks, including the first to go out and get Stephon Diggs? Did you like that move right away? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, my first initial reaction, you know, was, you know, kind of like I think everybody else is just, whoa, you know, like this is a bit this is a big time move, you know, and it was it was, you know, rather late at night. I think I think the move came down nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. So you kind of you spring into action. Right. And you start writing uh, in, in our business. You know, you, it's uh, wow. This is a big story. We got to get it out for the next day's paper. Let's let's get to work. Right. And then you kind of. You know, I think it wasn't until the next day that you sort of digest it. You know, it's it's more the adrenaline of just, wow, you know, the Bills have just made, you know, obviously DeAndre Hopkins had been traded earlier, uh, you know, that offseason or th- this offseason. And that was a massive move. But, you know, this is the type of move that, you know, a team that thinks it's close makes. Right. You don't trade your first round draft yeah. pick unless you think you're close. And that was the message that that it sent to me was. Brandon Bean said, you know, yeah, I could sit at number 22 and it is a great year for wide receivers and I could take one of these guys, but I'm going to hope that the guy that I take ends up being Stefan Diggs and why not just go get Stefan Diggs? And does the move come with some risk in terms of how does he fit in? You know, he's had some, some publicized uh, spats in Minnesota, right? With uh, Kirk Cousins and, you know, you know, that type of thing. How does he fit into the chemistry, uh, you know, all the things that we hear about this Bills locker room. Well, 
you know, it, we find out that they did a lot of that research at the trade deadline last year. So this is a guy that they have been looking at and, and really thinks, uh, you know, think that can come in here and be that number one receiver for Josh Allen. And, and I don't think anybody argued uh, at the end of last season that this offense could reach another level if it added a player exactly like Stefan Diggs. And, you know, his skill set looks to be a perfect match for his quarterback in, in Allen. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to like uh, about what he brings to, to this offense. Uh, you know, I think his route running, um, you know, his ability to make contested catches, all of that really pairs well with the other receivers that they have, with Cole Beasley, what it does for John Brown, and potentially freeing him up to make more plays down the field and, and to maybe see some easier or lesser coverages. Um, you know, to me, though, I, I think the the overall message that I got from a move like that was Brandon Bean was saying, we see a window and we're going to do everything we can to try and take advantage of it. I completely agree. And I was going to ask you, what do you think this means for John Brown and Beasley? Because we don't need to talk about Diggs and his talent and his numbers because that's been done several times since the Bills acquired him. But you look at his targets over the last four years, Stefan Diggs I'm talking about. So he had 94 last year, 149, oh my God, in 2018. <laughs> uh, then he had 95 and 112 over his last four years. So you take those numbers into account, and then you go to the Bills from last year, and John Brown and Beasley both had good seasons, especially John Brown, he had 115 targets last year at over 1,000 yards. Uh, Cole Beasley had 106 targets. So you're talking 221 targets between those two. Obviously, they're not likely to see that many targets. Again, there's only one football, a third-year starting quarterback. Do you have any concerns that that might be an issue, or do you just come to the conclusion that Stefan Diggs being in Buffalo should make John Brown even better? Maybe even if his numbers aren't quite as good, but it can make him a more dangerous wide receiver. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. I mean, now when you say, do I have any concerns, do I have any concerns that, you know, that there's only one football to share? I, I mean, I think you do have to have a concern about that, right? Especially when it comes to Diggs. Now, I don't have a concern when it comes to John Brown. I think John Brown, there's a great story about John Brown that I heard uh, from the Giants game in week two. And Josh Allen comes over to the sideline. He's upset. He misses a deep ball to John Brown that should have been a touchdown. And he comes over and he's a, he's apologetic. He's telling John Brown, listen, I missed you. I'm sorry. That was six, right? And John Brown looks at him and he says, Josh, look at the scoreboard. I don't care. We're winning. That's all that matters to me. And that is really, really telling about the type of player uh, or maybe more so the type of person that John Brown is and why that's so important, right? Because he's not going to be a guy that there's going to be games where John Brown has two or three targets this year, right? Stefan Diggs is going to be on the other side. He's going to be winning his matchup left and right. Cole Beasley's going to be in the slot. He might be uh, going up against an inferior slot cornerback, and he's going to have a lot of targets. So there are going to be times where Cole Beasley only has two or three targets or John Brown only has two or two two or three targets. I'm reasonably sure being around those guys for a year that they're going to be all right with that. I'm not reasonably sure that Stefan Diggs is. I'm not saying that he is going to be a problem. I'm just saying that I haven't seen it yet. So what's going to happen in those games where Stefan Diggs only has two or three targets? That's a question that the Bills better have asked themselves before they made this trade. I think they did. 
And obviously they're, they're okay with the answer. And, you know, they've, they've talked about his competitiveness and, and that's what they value, right? They want guys who love football. They believe he does, but, you know, we have seen the diva route with wide receivers, whether it's here in Buffalo uh, with Terrell Owens going back a, a ways now, or, you know, it's just what the position is known for around the NFL. You, you hear about it all the time. And until we see this on the field with Stefan Diggs, when there is a game where his targets aren't really coming and how he reacts and handles that, I do think it's fair to question that. And that's not saying that I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm saying that he is going to handle it poorly. I'm just saying based on what, you know, the history in Minnesota, we need to see it here in Buffalo uh, as to how it goes. I'll tell you, I think of Diggs and Brown and their talent, and I feel like Cole Beasley's the guy in this all that could be licking his lips. Yeah. You know, he's going to be getting the most favorable matchups in that slot with Brown and Diggs having to be accounted for. He's that guy, again, maybe his numbers won't be off the charts, but He's going to have some of those games where he's catching nine, ten passes. That's not going to change because he's going to get some really, really good matchups. So in terms of the rest of the wide receiver position, the top three are established. I'm not going to sit here and ask you in June for your prediction on who's going to end up making the 53-man roster. I think that's a little ridiculous before you see any camp or preseason or anything like that. But I will ask you how you're feeling about the rest of this position right now. So you got Duke Williams back. Andre Roberts is more of a special teams guy. I think he's pretty locked in. So you got Duke Williams, got Isaiah McKenzie, and then you got the two rookies, fourth rounder, Gabriel Davis, sixth rounder, Isaiah Hodgkins, which I've heard a lot of good things about him. What are your thoughts right now on the rest of this position? Because there will be an opportunity or two along the way for that fourth wide receiver to to go out there and do some damage. What are you seeing there? Yeah, well, you know what I'm seeing is uh, a good football player or good football players who are not going to make this team based on the numbers. And, you know, you look at what this team did last year uh, and what Brandon Bean has, has really shown uh, a liking to do is to to make moves at the end of, uh, at the, end of uh, the summer before final cuts. Maybe he can move one of these wide receivers for some draft, you know, you know, some draft capital, whether that be, let's say, Duke Williams or whether that be Robert Foster, for example, two guys who I think right now, if you were projecting out, are on the outside looking in based on what this team did in free agency with Diggs and then in the draft, as you mentioned, with Gabe Davis and Hodgins in the sixth round. So I think the, you know, I think Davis as a fourth round pick is guaranteed a roster spot. So now you're up to four, five if you count Roberts as special teams. How many more wide receivers are they keeping? I mean, you get to six with, you know, do you want a backup slot receiver? That's probably Isaiah McKenzie. And we, you know, we saw him. kind of used the, you know, in in some gadget ways with the jet sweeps or the fake jet sweep action. Do they want that as part of the the playbook? You know, we're all of a sudden at six wide receivers, and then, you know, we've still got Duke Williams, we've got Robert Foster, we've got Ray Ray McLeod, we've got Isaiah Hodgins as a sixth-round pick. There are a lot of – there's a lot of talent on this position, and it is remarkable how far it's come – in the last two off seasons, you know, when you think of a brand new top three and maybe in, you know, on paper, at least maybe the best in the NFL top three in Diggs, Brown and Beasley. And then the competition behind them, I think, is going to be really fascinating. And again, you know, I would say that my prediction, not necessarily a bold prediction or going out on a limb or anything like that, but a guy like Duke Williams, who, you know, 
makes the team, uh, or I should say makes the practice squad, gets called up and, and was really, you know, seeing, God, how many times on social media did we hear, why aren't they playing Duke Williams? Why aren't they playing Duke Williams? They, you know, people just seem to love the guy for whatever reason. I don't think I don't see a way he makes this team this year. And that, you know, just speaks to the depth that they've been able to acquire there. You know, it's kind of funny. I was running down all these receiver possibilities to you. You did it on your own. I didn't even mention Robert Foster, man. And I'll tell you what, you go back to 2018. He was arguably the best wide receiver on this roster. Two years later, he's almost like an afterthought in terms of making this team. And and with Duke Williams, this is the last thing I'm going to say about the wide receivers. If anyone's questioning if the Bills gave up too much to get Stephon Diggs, which is ridiculous, but whatever. Just look no further than the playoff game. I think he got as many targets or almost as many targets as Browning Beasley did combined in that playoff game. That ain't happening with Stephon Diggs out there. You know what I'm saying? There were, hey, listen, I mean, we, you know, I, I, I kind of gave Dawson Knox the business earlier, uh, you know, may, maybe unfairly about a play that he missed in that game. How many, how many plays did Duke Williams miss in that game? Catches yeah. that, you know, that were, yeah, were they easy catches? Definitely not. They were contested catches. But guess what? That's why Duke Williams was on the roster. And in the biggest moment uh, of the season for that football team, for the Bills, he wasn't able to make those plays. And, you know, say what you will. Those were the plays that had to be made. Duke Williams couldn't make them in that moment. Last thing I want to talk about, or actually two things here. We're going to get to quarterback. There's one thing that the Bills did in the offseason, and there's one thing that the Bills did not do in the offseason that I'm critical of that I didn't like. The thing that they didn't do, and this is what I want to talk about right here, is I feel like the Bills blew an opportunity to go out and get an upgrade at QB2 this year. Now, I know a lot of people like Matt Barkley. There are certainly worse backup quarterbacks in the NFL than Matt Barkley. I get that he's a mentor to Josh Allen. I know that they have a great relationship, them two. I know that Matt Barkley is very good for the quarterback room. But having said that, this offseason, maybe more than anyone I can remember, there were good established starters on the market who went to other teams for basically pennies on the dollar. You had Jameis Winston go to the Saints. Only pay cost him like $1.2 million. Andy Dalton ends up getting cut. Goes to the Dallas Cowboys. Cam Newton's still out there. Something you said earlier during our interview really resonated with me when you were talking about Josh Allen, when you said, God forbid he gets hurt. Well, let's play out that unfortunate scenario. God forbid he does get hurt. How confident are you with Matt Barkley to go out there and lead you to the playoffs? And do you think the Bills did the right thing? Which, if if you think so, by all means, disagree with me. I don't mind that at all. But having the opportunity to go out and get somebody like a Winston or a Dalton or a Nick Foles was out there and trade or other people out there, they just stuck with Matt Barkley. If this is a win-now team, I don't like the fact that all the eggs seem to be in a basket of Josh Allen not just improving, but staying healthy, the way he plays. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, you know, of the names that you mentioned, I think the one that I would have made a case for is Dalton. I don't think that Jameis Winston is signing in Buffalo. I think he wanted to go to New Orleans to play under Sean Payton, to play with Drew Brees, to learn from them. And knowing that Brees is entering the final year uh, of his career, maybe have a potential to to take over that job after this season. I don't think that the opportunity in Buffalo, even if the money was bigger, would have been something that interested Jameis Winston. Um, Dalton, to me, though, I think – you know, for a lot of the things that you said in terms of 
if something were to happen to Josh Allen, I think that, you know, he was a guy that the Bills could win with. Uh, you know, to answer that first question, if something happens to Josh Allen, yeah, I think the season sunk, to be honest with you. I don't think that this team is going anywhere with Matt Barkley. I don't think he's getting them to the playoffs uh, if that's the situation that they're in, or I don't think he's winning them a playoff game, uh, you know, if they've already sewn something up, you know, for example. So the the backup quarterback position, I, I got a lot of attention, um, you, know, you know, in the mailbag that I write every week. You know, it seemed like a constant question. Should they upgrade? Should they upgrade? And, you know, the thing that I would tell you is that it's a, a really tricky position for a football team because, and in, and in particular, when you have a young starter like Allen, who I would say has not firmly, firmly established himself going forward, right? I mean, we all know that he's the starter going into this year. There's no question about that. He's probably the starter going into 2021. But can you say with any degree of certainty, can anybody say with any degree of certainty that for the next 10 years, Josh Allen's going to be the starter? I don't think he's gotten that far in his career yet. and. With the backup quarterback, if you bring in a player who threatens or per, even perceives to be a threat to the starter, that is a very sensitive issue. And that is something that teams really don't want to have to deal with, right? The Bills don't want to send the message, even if it's very, you know, even if they're, you know, they come out and they're screaming it from the mountaintops that Josh Allen's your starter. If you sign a guy like Jameis Winston, and Josh Allen starts the season with two or three bad games in a row, there are going to be people calling for a quarterback change. That's just the nature of the NFL. It happens in every city, right? And the Bills want to avoid that. And, yeah, you know, you talked about Barkley and being the mentor. I I don't know that I would use the word mentor in this situation because, you know, quite frankly – Josh Allen might look at Matt Barkley and the career that Matt Barkley's had and say, what am I going to learn from this guy? And, you know, he's not going to say that out loud, of course, you know what I mean? Right. But I think it's more what he, what he sees on film when they're watching film together during the week, maybe what they see on the sidelines when they're talking, they absolutely do have a good relationship. So there is value that the bills put in that. I think that he fits in that quarterback room. I'm not going to argue or push back with you, though, that Andy Dalton is a better quarterback and would be a better number two in the sense of if something were to happen to Allen, could Dalton do do more than Barkley? Absolutely. I agree. But I think the Bills have to there, there's that, you know, how much do you weigh what he means to Allen, what he means in the quarterback room, what he means on the sideline versus what happens if this guy actually has to go in there and win us a football game? Yeah, I mean, it's very understandable, and I definitely see both sides to it. A guy like that's why they won't sign someone like Cam Noonan. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's probably other reasons, too, but forget a couple bad weeks, Jay. Go out and have a bad half, yeah. a bad quarter. People are going to be screaming for, for Cam Noonan in the game. At the same token, I don't know, though, man, because like you, you, you admitted it, and I think it's common knowledge. The season gets sunk if he gets hurt. I don't think if Andy Dalton's the quarterback from day one going into camp, I don't feel like the season is sunk if Josh Allen gets hurt, where I do if Matt Barkley's out there. And I would also say that if Josh Allen would be that sensitive to potential criticism or hearing those rumors, you got to kind of question his, his mental toughness at that point. Now, I know Josh Allen's a tough dude. If nothing else, that's a tough son of a bitch. But I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that you're saying he wouldn't be able to handle that. But 
I'm saying if he couldn't handle that, then maybe I don't know if he would be the guy. I don't know. It's just, it's tough. I just hate the fact that this team is built to win now. And there's probably 27 other teams in the NFL that are in the same boat. Their starter goes down as a wrap for 2020. So I don't know. It's just a, it's a tough uh, situation to gauge. And ultimately, obviously the bills decided that they like Matt Barkley enough, maybe in the room and maybe they like him on the field too. If, if he has to play prolonged games, what do you think about Jake Fromm? I should have hit on him too. Fifth round pick. Are you a little surprised at the bills quarterback in the fifth round? No, no, I, I don't think I, I wouldn't say that I'm surprised. You know, I, you know, if you you know if you believe the the pre-draft rankings, it seems like Fromm uh, at that point was a pretty good value. You know, and and most uh, experts really you know kind of expected him to maybe go a little bit sooner than what he did. And you know, he falls for whatever reason. You know, the big question, uh, you know, at least ahead of the draft was, was arm strength, and that's something that you know he'll have to prove. But uh, with bat, you know, with Barkley being in the final year of his contract, I, I do think that it made a little bit of sense for the Bills to bring in a guy that you know can he compete for the the number two job this year? I think that's probably unlikely. Uh, and you know, actually, I, I had a question in this past week's mailbag that I thought was a really good one that that made me think. You know, this might be the year of, of any. Uh, for teams to carry more quarterbacks than what they normally would, right? The Bills only went with two last year in Allen and Barkley, and they had Davis Webb on the practice squad. Well, you might want to have three quarterbacks on your active roster and another one on the practice squad this year because what happens if one of these guys gets sick, right? You don't want to have only two quarterbacks if, you know, they, they've got to quarantine themselves here uh, for a couple of weeks. So I, I think yeah. quarterback depth might be – at more of a premium this year. So so bringing from in, giving him the opportunity to, you know, at worst be the third quarterback, maybe have an outside chance at being the backup, I think made a lot of sense. Obviously, that was all before, you know, these text this text message conversation gets leaked and and becomes, you know, national news with everything that's going on in the world. And, you know, Jake Fromm is uh, you know, how do I say this simply? going to have a lot of work to do when he gets into that locker room with his teammates and convincing them of the type of person he is. And, and you know, I think Brian Dayball has said that. Uh, even Josh Allen, uh, you know, when we have talked to him, has said that. And, you know, everything that we've understood, you know, we, we know to be true is that Jake Fromm has addressed the team. He has, you know, sincerely apologized for the words that he used. Uh, but you know, that apology only goes so far when it's over zoom, right. And over video conference, uh, when he's face to face with those guys in that locker room, I think there's going to be, uh, some more opportunity for them to really feel out who Jake Fromm is and for him to get the opportunity to explain to his teammates who he is. And he's got, you know, he's got some work to do in that regard. Well, I'm with Josh Allen and look, it doesn't take a smart person to figure out the Buffalo bills are going to go as far is Josh Allen ultimately takes them, regardless of going out and getting digs, regardless of retooling the defense. At the end of the day, of course, it's about Josh Allen. I'm not going to sit here and ask you what you thought of his game last year. I'm not going to recite the stats because, frankly, they don't matter much. What I want to ask you is going into this year, a critical year, I would say, in his development and maybe his future as the quarterback of this team. I mean, who knows? But realistically, what do you think his realistic ceiling is right now going into this season? Like, what can Bills fans realistically expect for this guy? He's not going to turn into Peyton Manning this year. But 
is it realistic to expect at least incremental improvement? Obviously, he'll have to be if this team's going to get to where they want to go to. Do you feel like he has that in him to improve and how much so this year? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting when you look at Josh Allen's career to this point. You know, from rookie to sophomore year, he goes from 2,000 yards roughly to 3,000 yards. He goes from 10 touchdowns to 20 touchdowns, uh, throwing the ball, that is. When you, you know, that type of growth, 53% completion percentage to 59% completion percentage, can he continue on that? Can he do another 1,000 yards? Can he become a 4,000-yard passer? Can he throw for 30 touchdowns? Can he complete? 65% of his passes, those those would be the next logical steps, but those are big steps to get to. It's a lot easier from rookie to sophomore to to show the growth that he did than I I think it will be to show the growth from year two to year three, at least in terms of the raw numbers. But the one thing I will say about Josh Allen that I really, really like is when he has done something uh, or when he knows that he needs to work on something, He's set out, he's worked on it, and he's gotten better on it, right? You know, coming out of his rookie year, I think a lot of people said the short, the intermediate passes, the accuracy just wasn't there. It's got to get better. Well, it did get better last year, right? Early last season, you you think back to the New England game in particular, he's got to take better care of the football. Well, when you look at the interceptions, only nine all of last season and how many he had over the final 11 or 12 weeks of the season really, really cut down. He took a lot better care of the football. Now, obviously, in the playoff game uh, down against Houston, some, you know, not so great decisions with the football and where he decided to go with it and and trying to do too much. I think certainly that is an area that you want to see improve. And and the idea that, you know, he calls it hero ball, right? He's got to stop playing hero ball. Well, you know, the big area, you know, outside of that, what's the other big area you want to see Josh Allen improve? The deep ball. You know, wasn't was not accurate enough. Missed way too many opportunities down the field last year. This offense could have looked, uh, you know, from a statistical perspective, a lot different if he was able to complete some of those passes. So, I know this offseason has been a big emphasis on improving those areas. And to his credit, I have seen improvement in things that he set out and, and said, "I know I need to improve." And I think if that continues. Then I think Josh Allen is heading in the in the right direction, and I think there's reason uh, to be optimistic about it. Now, he is polarizing by nature. He has been that way since since college and since uh, Wyoming. Coming into the draft, there wasn't a more polarizing player than Josh Allen. Right? He was the first pick, or he should have been the first pick in some eyes, and he shouldn't have been a first rounder in other eyes. Right? And that really hasn't changed. You know, if you want to believe. In Josh Allen, you're going to find stats. You're going to find specific plays, maybe uh, most uh, most especially, that back you up on that. If you didn't believe in Josh Allen, you're going to, again, find specific stats and specific plays. Think back to that wild card loss where you would say, this guy doesn't – he's never going to have what it takes to be the franchise guy. And I agree with you, Pat. I think this is, you know, entering year three – You'd like to know by now, but I don't think the Bills do know by now. At least if they're being honest, they can't say with 100% certainty either way, this guy is 100, you know, he's going to be our guy for the next 10 years, or are we still learning about that? And and I think for all of those reasons, this is an absolutely massive year for Josh Allen. And, And I know you can say that every year about the starting quarterback, but 
he's one of the more fascinating guys in all of the NFL, in my mind, just because of what he brings to the table, how passionate people are on either side in either supporting him or, you know, maybe criticizing him. Last question here, and then I'm going to let you go for today. So I'm not going to count Lamar Jackson because he would be the answer because he's playing for Baltimore as one of the best teams in the NFL. And I'm not going to say Josh Rosen because that dude might be playing in the NFL about as good as me or you are <laughs> by next year, meaning he ain't going to be playing in the NFL pretty soon at the rate he's going. It's kind of weird. That's another conversation in itself, though. But here's what I wanted to ask you. Between, and I know that you cover the Bills, but I also know you well, and you're going to give me your honest answer here. Between Josh Allen, between Baker Mayfield with Cleveland, and between Sam Darnold with the Jets, of those three, who do you think's best set up to have success? We'll even just say for 2020, of those three, who's most equipped to have success this year? Allen is most equipped to have sex, have success this year. I think he's best set up. I think when you look at the continuity that he's had at offensive coordinator uh, with Brian Dayball now entering his third season, when you look at the weapons that this team has added, uh, particularly Stefan Diggs, which we've talked a lot about, and you know what they've got in terms of the running game, to me, again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. My question is the offensive line, but it, it, you know, if the if the question is framed, who's best set up to succeed? I think it's Josh Allen for those reasons. I think he's got a lot working in his favor. That's not to say that it's all going to come together, or that ultimately Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold won't end up having a better either twenty twenty season or moving forward a career. But I think that the Bills have have set out to build around Josh Allen in a very particular, very particular way. And they've done that really, really well. They've done that uh, about as well as you could, you know, ask or expect a franchise to do it. So Josh Allen uh, has everything in my mind that he needs to succeed. Now it's on him to take that step. The one question I didn't get to that I'm going to save for Friday's show is inquiring about my favorite golfer, Elliot Skirsky. I didn't get a chance to talk about him, but we're definitely going to do that on Friday's show. Everyone out there, give Jay a follow on Twitter at Jay Skirsky. Subscribe to the Buffalo News. Support local journalism. They need it now more than ever. Thanks a lot, Jay. It's always good talking to you, and I guess I'll probably be talking again in about, well, I don't know, what's there, about 45 seconds or so? <laughs> it sounds good. Let's do it. All right, folks, that is going to do it for today's show. Very, very big thank you again. Jay Skirsky from the Buffalo News, one of my favorites. In fact, I like him so much. He's going to be back again on Friday's show. Today was offense. Friday's going to be defense, special teams. I'm sure we'll find some other stuff to talk about as well. I also want to thank today's show supporters, 26 Shirts, Audimute, and of course, Sounds Assured. Guys, I say this every week, but... Pay attention here, okay? If you listen to this podcast and you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, any of them, wherever you listen to your podcast, because we're available on all of them, subscribe to this podcast. Also, please rate and review. It really, truly helps me to continue to grow this show, and I'm really looking to make that push now. So if you haven't done so already, subscribe rating review. I'd really appreciate it. We're also on YouTube. I do have a YouTube channel, Talking Buffalo Podcast. That's the channel on YouTube. Right now, I currently have highlight clips. I'm sure some clips from this episode will be up there from current and past episodes. 
Gonna start doing some original audio content really soon. And before you know it, it's a project that I'm working on now. I'm going to start eventually having video content up there as well. So again, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Hammerin Tweets. I say it pretty much every week here because it's true. If you want to get a hold of me, that is where you're going to find me. I spend more time on Twitter than pretty much anywhere else. At Pamarin Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I really, truly appreciate each and every single person taking your time listening to this show when there's so many others out there. It means a lot to me. Have a good week. Be safe. Stay out of trouble. Do the right thing. <laughs> I'll be back. Brand new episode. Jay Skursky once again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.